Greetings and salutations, and welcome to This Ends at Prom. A coming-of-age podcast highlighting cinema about or marketed towards teen girls. I'm one of your hosts, BJ Colangelo, and I'm joined by my wife. Harmony Colangelo, a trans woman who grew up watching none of these movies. Is today's movie a queen bee? Or are we killing the teen dream? Get in, loser. We're analyzing the movies people make fun of us for loving. Twice as hard for the same motherfucking title, but I realize that I probably won't be so lucky. Welcome back, prom party. Hi. Harmony, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm honestly, I have like a wicked headache and I'm cold, but it's fine. There's nothing warmer than the Catholic Church to make me feel better. What's really strange is, I mean, we obviously live in the same house because we're married, but we haven't like really been around each other all that much today because I've been a potato living in our bedroom because it is kind of cold in LA today. Yeah, so now I'm in the bedroom, which doesn't get the heat as well as every other room in the house. I mean, these are the sacrifices that you make for podcasting, and I appreciate you for it. We sacrifice for our, our art, and also, that's what that's what Catholicism is about. It's about sacrifice, right? <laughs> there we go. It's all perfect theming. We must suffer. <laughs> Friends, today we are talking about the film Heaven Help Us, and yes, it is hella Catholic, but we are not alone. Today we are joined by the co-host, co-creator, editor and podcaster of several podcasts, including Book First Movie, Dorking Out, Not Fade Away, and one of my personal favorites, What a Creep, we have Margot Donahue. Hi, Margot. Hi, guys. Hello. <laughs> Sorry, my voice just squeaked there like Peter Brady for a second. <laughs> it's fine. We're a teen podcast. <laughs> I'm thrilled to be here. Thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for for joining us. We're so excited to talk about this movie, one that I think a lot of people haven't seen. So I'm curious if you could explain, like, why Heaven Help Us? Why is this a movie you're interested in talking about? It's featured in my book because I pretty much, I spent two years, I it's called, my book is called Filmed in Brooklyn. So I talked about all the movies that have been filmed in Brooklyn, as many as I could watch and find out the locations for in during the COVID times. And this turns out this movie, which I did see in the movie theaters, because I am one of the olds that you will have on your show. <laughs> uh, it, it was filmed at, I live in Park Slope. It was filmed in Sunset Park, which is not, Park, excuse me, which is not too far away from me. I'm also, if you could tell by my name, I'm an Irish Catholic. And my parents were married in the year this movie takes place. There's just sort of a lot of things that kind of hit hit for me and also I was and remain a huge Andrew McCarthy fan and a completist <laughs> so I will see whatever he's in oh I love that we are big fans of Andrew McCarthy on this podcast for obvious reasons he is a little bit before our time but that's I think 
part of the allure for him. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, he, this movie has such a phenomenal cast of people that we will see time and time again on this show in different movies and different forms. I mean, we've got a return from, as we as we know and love him, Daddy Donald Sutherland is on this podcast. Uh-huh. <laughs> we've got another one of the Dylan brothers. Like, there's a lot of good stuff going on here. And I was really excited that you wanted to talk about this because normally we have a section every season called Teen Movie Hell for our listeners where we pick a movie that is featured in Mike McPadden's book Teen Movie Hell as an honor to his late, great, wonderful work. And I was thrilled to find that Heaven Help Us is in his book as well. Um, And this is a movie I don't think people talk about a lot, and I'm not entirely sure why. Do you have any theories on that? Yeah, well, it wasn't a big hit at the time, It was sold as like a teen sex comedy, which it's just not. Uh The teens do get together, spoiler, but they actually fall in love and it's very sweet. The soundtrack, which is completely amazing, I'm sure it costs a fortune nowadays Uh (laughs) to play, so they can't play it as often. And I think it's just a little too, it's intense. This movie is, I think this movie, first of all, I'm like, I just watched it again for the first time and maybe... 20 years the other night and it gets to me I think it's a really well done movie and I think it's it's got a lot of really amazing themes but it doesn't make the Catholic Church look great which maybe people are ready for that now and they weren't ready for it then yeah <laughs> oh I completely agree this movie is very critical of the Catholic Church in a way that was kind of revolutionary when you look at just kind of the canon of film. I was like, well, they're really taking some swings, like literally and metaphorically yeah. <laughs> in this movie. Um, so before we dive in any deeper, Harmony, can you lay down like what other movies were coming out around this time? Like, Where does this fit into the release schedule? So if you want to look at like the teen movie canon of 1985, this is a very, very big year like we we are post uh, a lot of blockbuster sex comedies like revenge of the nerds and porkies and we're post like more proper less sex comedy but still kind of sex comedy films like fast times at ridgemont high or 16 candles so right about now is when particularly boy movies do very well for themselves so like just this year you have the Goonies, uh, Teen Wolf, St. Elmo's Fire, Back to the Future, Weird Science, Porky's Revenge, mercifully that series comes to an end, and released one week before this film in February is The Breakfast Club. Ooh. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. It, yeah. In, oh, in wow. A, well, no wonder nobody talks <laughs> about this film. Yeah. In a, in a February release schedule, which generally doesn't favor a lot of films, um, like if you look at like the box office around this time, movies from November and December are still outranking new releases in February. Like Beverly Hills Cop was released, I think, in November and is still number one at the box office. So there's a number of like more cult classics that are coming out around this time. But what I think is really interesting is that we loved like period piece coming of age stories in the 80s. And this is a really good example of it, despite the Catholic Church being so old and set in its ways that if you didn't know this was a period piece outside of the soundtrack, it doesn't really give you a lot of clues that it is. This could just as easily be from like, Chucky season two, and I would believe it. 
Yeah. <laughs> I really liked the character. This is what really stuck with me. Mary Stuart Masterson is like the best thing in this movie. Her character oh God, and her yeah. acting is completely incredible. And we just didn't get characters like her. She's so special and different and her own person. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really what's different here. I agree completely. And I mean, we we talk about this a lot on the show because this is a podcast that leans very much into girl coming of age stories. But there are these movies, like I would say, Heaven Help Us or Last American Virgin, where the girl may not be the de facto protagonist, but their story is always the emotional anchor, I think, in a lot of these movies. Mm -hmm. And Mary Stuart Masterson, just unbelievable. She's fantastic. But before we dive in, any deeper it is time for everyone's favorite part of the show welcome to the morning announcements as a reminder you can support the show on patreon patreon.com backslash this ends at prom over at our patreon we offer things like our schedule ahead of time wonderful playlists curated by harmony our Sadie Hawkins dance episodes focusing on teen boy movies, and we are currently going through our TV Homecoming series through Pen15. We offer a free bonus episode every month for our subscribers at only $1. If now is not the right time to support financially, we totally understand. All we ask is that if you love the show, you send us to a friend, you give us a five-star review wherever it is you get your podcasts, and you tag us on social media, hashtag thisendsatprom or at thisendsatprom. So, Margot, if you had to explain, like, give a quick synopsis of what this movie is about to someone who's never seen it, what is Heaven Help Us all about? It's about a bunch of boys having to go to Catholic school, having to get through it, and some of the priests and nuns are total creeps, and some of them are okay, and it's got a good soundtrack, And some laughs, and there's some uh, repressed sexuality in there, Mm -hmm. and there's a sweet love story in there. And like you said, it feels very modern and yet rooted in 1965 at the same time. No, and I love all of that as a description for it, because one of the things that we try to do, and we don't do it every week, but we should, is uh, particularly for older films, it's like, well, what did the trailer look like for this? And it really does try to make it look like a sex comedy in a way that it just wholly isn't. It feels sleazy. It almost feels like a like a Cinemax thing, which I guess the original title was called Catholic Boys, which mm-hmm. has a bit more of a sexual connotation to it than Heaven Help Us. Right. Um, but it's almost like if you tried to convince someone like Dead Poet Society is a sex comedy and it just isn't. <laughs> That's right. We, yeah. we looked at the trailer and like 90% of the trailer is just Wallace Shawn's speech before the dance talking about lust and sinfulness. And then they find the, the little moments skitter, scattered throughout this film where they do have those moments of sex, but that's the whole trailer. So then you get the impression that that's the whole movie. And this movie is saying a lot more and is a lot deeper and way more complicated than your average sex comedy. And it is just so clear, uh, a, a very poor attempt at trying to bait and switch some young audiences into seeing this movie. 
And I think that's part of the, what happened because yeah. people were like, well, I thought I was going to see Porky's, but set in a Catholic church. And look what happened. They made me think things and feel things that were normal. I mean, <laughs> they do have sexual feelings, but of course you do. Your hormones are going crazy. You know, the boys are separated from the girls. And that's just, it's just natural. I mean, I remember being that age. And yeah, you think about things. It's a little over the top, especially when they're doing, uh, I'm sorry, when they're giving like the, the, the uh, the Catholic uh, when they do uh, God I'm such a lapsed Catholic with the <laughs> with putting the bread on the tongue you know what I'm talking about There's oh that and whole poor scene. Stephen Jeffries is Oy. losing it. Oh, my God. I mean, that goes on forever. I mean, then there's a whole scene where the boys are swimming naked in a pool. And the whole thing is like they're the homoeroticism of that mm-hmm. is also like undercurrent there. Also, the sadomasochistic part of the church, which is my parents went to Catholic school, both of them, and they refused to send us to Catholic school because of what they've been through. And they would tell us stories about nuns and the, the, just the, the punishments that people went through. And there are some scenes that are just like, good God, like the way kids are punished are just mm-hmm. horrifying. And like I said, it's probably like 20 years before people were ready for it. Yeah. I think, so. I think so too. I mean, I've shared this story on the show before, I think, if not, maybe on our Patreon. But my first quote-unquote girlfriend, a.k.a. a girl I kissed under the pl- like the slide on the playground in kindergarten, her parents sent her to Catholic school because I think they were trying to like curb her budding lesbianism. And I remember as I got older thinking that that seemed very counterintuitive. Yes. <laughs> like you're so concerned about your daughter possibly being a lesbian. So you sent her to an all-girls school where the discipline often comes in the form of like a mean older lady. That is that's way gayer than public school. (laughs) (laughs) And that's very much what we see a lot in here. There's so much homoeroticism in this movie, which is also hilarious considering I think this movie might have the highest count of the F slur in any movie we've ever covered. Yeah, we should warn that. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. Like I wish that I'd kept a tally because I'm sure it's in the twenties, possibly into the thirties. And I mean, they're all from, one character so (laughs) it's kevin dylan yes Uh and he's really good by the way in this movie i think he's a very strong actor and Mm -hmm. he's very funny in the part but you know welcome to the 80s people that's what we did Oh, welcome to the 60s by way of the 80s. Yeah, yes, very much right. so. And I mean, that's something that we talk about on the show all the time is that teen movies more than any other genre are always time capsule movies of how people were acting and talking at that moment because they're trying to be relevant. And to say that characters were not speaking in this manner is a historical. Like they were. They and were. that's how they insulted each other, especially at an all boys school. Oh my God, absolutely. That's exactly what's going to happen. Mm -hmm. Um, But I do want to break down some of these characters. So we'll start with Andrew McCarthy, who somehow looks 10 years younger than he does the following year in Pretty in Pink. He ages so much in one year. It's it's shocking. All of them look so young. They all look like such babies. And then like (laughs) you see them in like two years later in other Brat Pack movies and you're like, what happened? (laughs) Like you all had like Ralph Macchio thing going on where you're way younger looking than you are, but suddenly you're men. Okay. Um, So Margot, how do you feel about the character of Michael Dunn? That's Andrew McCarthy, right? Yes. Uh, I had a big crush on him. So I think he's just adorable and great. And he's like the introduction to this world for us his parents died he's living with his aunt and uncle or his grandparents and he's sent to the school 
and he has this obnoxious kid Caesar that he has to befriend who's mm-hmm. like this super smart kid and that then he gets into that's how he gets into the school and Caesar's friends with kids who are into pranks into pranking the priests and then that's he, we learn all about this school and we have Donald Sutherland who seems like a nice guy and then John Hurd is like the cool priest and then we mm-hmm. have just this demon priest who just really gets off on sadism Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. I also weirdly, I love like hip priests. I love like hip priests or like mm-hmm. the, cool youth the, pastor. the cool youth yeah. pastor. I love that character archetype because they're always so silly to me. <laughs> um, and I just love that it's John Hurd of all people. And yeah, we do have Donald Sutherland in like a very stoic role. He doesn't have as much to do as he normally does in movies, but he really makes his scenes count like when he's crying because he got to see the Pope. <laughs> Right. Um, just lovely. I Everything Donald Sutherland does, I love. But yeah, we then have this sadistic priest who's like beating children with like very Catholic forms of punishment, in my opinion, of like hitting somebody on the palm of their hands because like that doesn't leave marks mm-hmm. sort of thing, like really upsetting forms of discipline. Uh, but Harmony, how do you feel about Dunn as kind of our like main character? I mean, it's just really good, simple storytelling that you have somebody who is new to this world, so it introduces the viewer to this world. Because I, I'm, I'm Catholic on my dad's side. Um, we grew up much more Lutheran, which is far lazier and has less history and pomp and circumstance than Catholicism <laughs> does. Um, so I'm like in and out of this world. But like, I have never seen a movie that is so brutal about showing like everything you don't want to see about the Catholic church, including Mm -hmm. like the sadism and like the child abuse and like the weird homoeroticism of it all, but without getting into like some gross priest molesting children's storyline that is so inclined to happen when you get into that territory. Um, I I really like Michael Dunn. I think he's nice. I I think Andrew McCarthy just has like these eyes that glitter anytime he's on screen. Mm-hmm. I think he is much more relatable of a main character than any other boy here. Um, I I want to believe that's probably because he hasn't spent years in this system and had to develop like coping mechanisms or <laughs> anything else to get him through his days. So he's a little bit less uh, bruised, uh, metaphorically and literally speaking. yeah I definitely agree and I think that Andrew McCarthy is just so immediately likable like no matter what he's doing you just have this inclination that you want to be on his side we talked about it a little bit with Pretty in Pink where even when he's doing something that I want to like shake my finger at him for it's like oh but you're so cute and adorable Mm -hmm. like how can I be mad at that face Um, and he just really captures that and we also get to see a lot of the interesting ways that male friendships work in this because, you know, he's got a priest in his face being like, hey, you need to be a narc right now. And he's not he's not talking. He's not going to narc these boys out. Mm-hmm. And that is such like this underlying, like unwritten rule in like masculine friendships. And I think that's really, really fascinating. But Margo, you mentioned Caesar and I have a lot of thoughts on Caesar. So <laughs> I would love to know your feelings on Caesar first. I've thought this the first time. I grew up in Long Island and everybody I knew was either Jewish or Catholic. That's just how it's just, you know, the bifurcated world that I had. And I would have thought this kid's Jewish, right? Like there's something about him that just sort of exudes that. But the other thing was, what is his deal? 
Like he seems so <laughs> unhappy and and he's so like is he a good person? Is he not a good person? He's super smart, but he just seems like he's in a bad mood all the time and I'm just I'm not sure about him. I'm not sure I totally trust him. <laughs> no, I wouldn't trust Caesar either, honestly. Um, I, I do, I gotta say, like, I will commend him, that, uh, despite him being unlikable and, like, maybe the biggest loser I've ever seen <laughs> as, like, a protagonist <laughs> in a teen film. Uh, I do like that as uh, he's not, like, an 80s nerd, where he's not a Revenge of the Nerds type stereotype. He's not, like, the weird kids from just one of the guys where they have lizards and speak alien languages to each other. Like he's just a dorky bookcase, um, the bookworm. And like, that's fine. I just, he, he has enough fortitude to not rat his friends out. But also I think that if push came to shove, he would absolutely throw every one of them under the bus if he had to. Yeah. He was also in Christine. He's also, yeah. one, you know what I mean? I just, there's something about, yeah, there's something about him. I'm just like, what is your deal? I don't know his deal completely. There's something about him like, hmm, that's my thing with Caesar. There's almost, he, I, I don't want to side with the Catholic Church, but there is this thing of him having this laminated, like possibly forged get out of jail free card for <laughs> physical punishment from like his uncle. And there is almost this thing of like, he hasn't had to build character the same way everyone else has. And I, I get why they would resent him and then, like, treat him like crap for it. But I don't know. He's he's not existing in quite the exact same world as everyone else is. And he's almost getting slightly preferential treatment because of it. And so, I don't know. He's a little high and mighty because he thinks he has the answer. And I don't... It, I get, it just sits wrong. If my In my fan fiction, in my, in my head, it's like he has an Irish father and a Jewish mother. And they kind of like, all right, we'll have him go to this school and then he's going to go here. You know what I mean? Like he, he's, and, sure. and, like, and I think maybe he just like, and so in this neighborhood and he, he looks at these kids like, oh, they're a bunch of idiots and I have to go to school with them. And then eventually I'll be able to do this and be able to do that. And I think he just, and they are, I don't know, they're no, not a bunch of brain trusts at this school. This is one of the reasons why my parents didn't want me to go to Catholic school <laughs> because they say they focus on the wrong things. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, I, I, there, yeah, there's something about Caesar I don't trust. And then, Kevin Dillon is hilarious in this movie, but he's also, I don't trust him either. <laughs> oh, he is a dirt bag. But like, I, I enjoy him, but I don't like him. Very he's much He's a teenage so. dirt bag, baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like, okay, I also do subscribe to the idea that Caesar like might have a Jewish mother at home because yes. he does have so many of like the Jewish teen archetype that we see in a lot of these sex comedies. But also the director of this movie is Jewish, which I find fascinating yes because this is such a catholic movie and it's like oh maybe this is why it is so like laser focused in on being critical of the catholic church but i was reading some like old interviews and reviews and what's so funny is the director was like i really didn't care if i was gonna make catholics upset with this movie i was more concerned i was going to offend fans of elvis because they make fun of blue hawaii in this movie (laughs) which blue hawaii not a good movie totally fair game to make fun of it but that is really hilarious to me that like he was more worried about elvis fans than he was the catholics i mean elvis's fans are a a little intense so that's true especially sure, but i the think 80s. the catholic church has a little bit more power or did at that right. time i mean it would just i should also say sorry i, I wrote this out of my notes this is the year that rosemary's baby takes place like ira levin mm-hmm. wrote rosemary's baby and and said it in this year in new york city so just we're all in the same universe as rosemary's baby 
All right, Mr. Rooney, come up here and bring that piece of paper with you. Your homework seems to have disappeared, mister. I realized that this was a religion assignment, but I hardly expected you to perform a miracle. <laughs> is that possible, Mr. Rooney? Is it possible that a miracle has actually occurred? Or is it more likely that you were trying to deceive me? No, brother. Well, then what's the explanation? Well, I... You were trying to deceive me, weren't you? No, brother. The truth, mister. You were trying to deceive me, weren't you? Yes, brother. And now you're sorry, aren't you? Yes, well, brother. then say it. Say, I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, brother. I'm sorry, brother. One thing that I do think is worth noting, though, as far as like how this movie handles religion and how I think this is very fascinating, is it's not necessarily anti-religion. It's anti-Catholic like school specifically. Yes. And Fanaticism. I think that is a very nuanced approach for this. Yeah. Well, it also, I think it questions the patriarchy because there's mm -hmm. one person here who has a good head on their shoulders, and that's Mary Stuart Masterson. She's the mm -hmm. only person who has like... And her, and I guess her, you could say her boyfriend, but uh, I mean she has empathy. She's the most mature. Mm -hmm. She's she's mm -hmm. the she's the most uh, she's the most likable of everybody. Danny, and she's this like seventeen year old girl, but she she's seems absolutely yeah. she's so capable. She's she's like this is the girl that eventually grows up to be like the coolest. Like I'll hit you with a bat if you fuck with my bar, <laughs> like kind of bartender <laughs> later in yes. life. And yes, and I think she is rad. <laughs> I love her. I seriously, I remember watching this on the screen. Like, that would be my friend. That would be somebody I would immediately want to be friends with. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And I think that she she shows this sort of dichotomy that exists of like the the girl who has to age faster because of the circumstances. And she ends up picking up these like, I don't want to say maternal roles, but I mean, she's taking care of her father. Right. Um, so she's already aged faster than everybody else. And she really like you can tell she wants to have fun with sort of like these pranksters but at the same time she's like I have so much more important shit to worry about and yeah. I can't have your priests coming into my delicatessen and fucking with stuff because y'all don't know how to behave mm -hmm. and like I think that that's such an important thing to to present to people is this idea that like one we have no idea a lot of times like what's going on in the personal lives right. of the people that we see every single day like mm -hmm. we have no clue mm -hmm. but also like there's a time and a place for everything and people should learn that <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, maybe don't act like an asshole in someone else's space like maybe just don't do that um, but she also like she plays with them and she messes with them like she I okay I love Stephen Jeffries this movie comes out the same year as Fright Night my favorite movie of all same. time who he plays evil Ed in that like oh fantastic um, I love the idea of Stephen Jeffries being like perpetually horny at any given moment, especially because the actual actor is gay, um, which just, I love when like gay men have to play like very horny for women characters because it always just adds a little extra layer of camp mm -hmm. uh, to, <laughs> to the performance and he he is bringing it. So when you have like Mary Stuart Masterson like leaning over the counter and like spilling water on him, she's doing that 
to mess with him specifically because she knows she can. Like, this is like a power move that she has. And it's like, you know what? Good for you. Good for taking advantage of this power situation. I love this for you. I, I, wanted, I think I should, we should say, like, she, so she's this teenager and she doesn't go to the school. Her father, she describes, has melancholia, which I had no idea what that was when I was a kid. And I guess we would say he has PTSD or some sort of me- mm-hmm. mental illness. And so she has to run this shop that's a part of their house. And so, like, she sells cigarettes to the teenagers and sells them sodas and stuff like that. And every once in a while, the cops show up and raid the place. And she's always being threatened with being taken away. And so she's, Mm -hmm. like, part of the kids, but she's separate from the kids as well. And so she's, like, got this fascinating, like, story all on her own, separate Mm -hmm. from these kids. Totally. And I love that her existence is not defined by her proximity to them, Mm -hmm. which I think ends up happening so often in teen movies that are kind of more boy-centric. The girl exists as like like a tool or like a vehicle for the boys learning more about themselves, whereas like she has her own story completely separate of all of the riffraff that they're getting into at school. I was just reading... Matthew Perry's book. <laughs> if you ever want to listen to somebody who has no idea about women and what, what they're <laughs> and he just looks at women as like, oh, you're going to fix me or I'm just going to ignore you. And it's just mm-hmm. like a, he's like these two bifurcated ideas of women where she is just like, you know, in a, a lesser movie, they give her a makeover to impress Andrew McCarthy. They never do that with her. She's just mm-hmm. always her own. Per- I just love her so much. Continue. Yeah, I I think that um, she she's not the manic pixie dream girl that we would see popularized, you know, decades mm-hmm. later. But I also think it's worth noting that like this is like the 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 portal, like the gateway to freedom, and like getting to live their lives and let loose is through her. Like mm-hmm. she is significantly more important to their lives than they are to hers. <laughs> like she and the she holds all the cards there. <laughs> Yeah. I just realized this because there's a whole scene where the boys are punished and they have to like clean the the church after school. Like they have to clean the statues. And then one of them like actually cuts the head off a statue Mm -hmm. and then takes that head. And then they get this is all very like racy for the times against doing something against a Catholic church. Like in New York, you you deface a, a church. It's considered like the highest you know, evil that you could mm-hmm. possibly do. And this movie just sort of casually does it like, ha ha, these kids are such pranksters. I mean, there's sort of ways <laughs> that this movie's super ahead of its time and kind of like super racy against the Catholic church. I kind of love that. It's okay to cut the statue's head off because Donald Sutherland thinks it was ugly. And it's just a statue, <laughs> by the way. It's just a statue. It's just a dead uh-huh. statue. Yeah. So someone that we've mentioned kind of in passing, but haven't like really dug into I find Kevin Dillon's Rooney character so ungodly fascinating. And I Mm -hmm. guess ungodly is a perfect word for this. Uh. He is so mouthy and so bratty and also has no idea how to actually talk to women. Um, I mean, he's got, I always forget the actress's name. I'm just like, you're the original Audrey Griswold. Um, Dana Barron. Thank you. Um, Yes, Dana Barron. So he's like very much into her. And I love that she also, her best friend, 
is Yearsley Smith. Uh, this is, I think, like her first or second film role. Uh-huh. Um, obviously, way before Maximum Overdrive and way before The Simpsons. Um, but it's always nice to see her in live action roles. Uh-huh. But uh, Rooney is such a little shit. And on paper, I should hate this character, but I can't help it. Like, I think that he's interesting. <laughs> and he's also, I'll be honest, 14, 15 year old me would totally want to make out with him. Yeah. <laughs> he has a kissable mouth. <laughs> Oh my gosh. And we we've talked about his his brother when we did our episode of Little Darlings. What is it about these Dylan brothers when they're like little shithead teen boys where you're like, no, I get this though. Like yeah, you're there's grow something up there. Kind of heartthrob. Mm-hmm. There's yeah, something so they got some mojo. <laughs> and Rooney also, like, he's definitely got some unchecked anger issues, but at the same time, I get why, because he is the most defiant of this group of pranksters by and large. So he's the one who's getting the 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 corporal punishment more i think than anyone else in in this movie um which is uh understandable why he's gonna be a little shit because of all of it um but i do think it's really funny that he's at the center of what i would say is like the most like teen movie hijink scene which is his car getting destroyed yes yeah on the this Guanus very Bridge. american graffiti f- scene yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he, you know, he's on like the double date. I also love that Yearly Smith is like really into that's just going to be her name. I know she has a character name, but that's just who she is. But she's really into Caesar because she likes that he's smart. So, you know, she's very much like the dominant factor in their like makeout session because he's too busy being like a little bookworm wiener to realize that <laughs> he's being flirted with. A bookworm um, who allegedly plagiarized the article she's complimenting him on. Right. Right. <laughs> right. Um, and then, you know, you've got, you've got Rudy uh, doing, doing his whole thing. And then the car is like, there's a brief moment in here where I think that these kids might actually fall into the river mm-hmm. and, or wherever they, I don't know if it's a river, a lake, whatever they're over. Um, but I'm like genuinely concerned these children like might die in that scene. <laughs> it's like the stakes like go really high for no real apparent reason, just for the haha, look at the car getting destroyed. It's the Guanis uh, Bridge, and it's not that deep, but it's disgusting. That water, especially at that time. It's just like it's where all the 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 manufacturing plants, like all the water just kind of went in there. Like in the Simpsons, the the fish would have like three eyeballs or something. Uh, This is like the kind of period where like my town of Cleveland, where that's when our river kept catching on fire. Exactly. Exactly. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So we've, we've got these little, little cast of characters. Then we also have another like, you know, Brat Pack, Brat Pack adjacent appearance. Uh, Patrick Dempsey is in here. (gasps) for a cup of coffee so young (laughs) he's so young and it's like it's so funny how hot he turned into in like his mid-30s or something like he Uh just looks like any other teenager doesn't he like you would just walk right by him and then like 10 15 years later he's super hot yeah i didn't recognize it was him initially and bj goes do you know who that actor is and like i think they're standing in line for like confession and it's like i didn't pick him up immediately until we got a better look at his face and i'm like that's McDreamy. And yes. like, he's not as boyishly dreamy as he is in something like Can't Buy Me Love, where he is adorable. He yes, just looks I like love some kid here. Yeah, he's just any other kid I would go to high school with. Like, I uh-huh. seriously would walk right by him. But he's good. He's good in the part. I yeah. think so too. And I think that this is, it's such an interesting movie because this is so many of them's like 
their one of their first roles in this kind of world. And I found an interview with Andrew McCarthy where he was talking about this like period of teen movies. And this is his favorite yeah. of all of the movies he's in, which I think is really telling. And one, it's probably because this is the one that gives him the most to do. I mm-hmm. mean, he's the lead. Uh, but also this is such an interesting story and an unpacking of these boys and their friendships and how they interact with each other and how they are trying to survive this Catholic school together because I don't think any of them are really all that into the religious aspect of their school. Like mm-hmm. it just happens to be the circumstance of mm-hmm. where they go to school. They're they're not very pious students, <laughs> I guess we should say. No, but I, I get the feeling like, you know, my parents said this too, like for a lot of kids, their parents let them know, like we're sacrificing for you to go to this school, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And you're, you're supposed to learn big lessons on top of your regular curriculum, on top of your education. And then you go to this place and then you have these mean people give you a hard time, which mm-hmm. for doing things that should that are against the law by the way that are assault and that shouldn't be allowed and then there's god on top of that the whole god thing that's on top of that and it's very it's it's so interesting and it's i i was like this is really smart this whole movie like gives you credit for having a brain yeah very much so I have um, a very good friend of mine, and she is uh, was a teacher at a religious school. I won't say what religion, but mm-hmm. she was a teacher at a religious school, and they did not encourage their students to use their brains. Right. Um, they were like, "Cool, you have to learn, you know, your 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 religious lessons. You need to focus on that. You're going to be a fine young man who knows about that." But then you would have like fourth graders reading at like a first grade level, right. and that was not prioritized and yeah it, it, it there's not a lot of critical thinking uh, applied in environments like this like that's not something that you teach the young people no you teach them obedience yeah and, and that's a whole other ball of wax and that's when it, you know when the pope comes to town like everybody stops everything to wave at a car and uh-huh. it's and that's mm-hmm. the ultimate thing that they could possibly do. My parents did it in 1965 when the Pope came to town. Like everybody went, why wouldn't you? But yeah, it, there's a lot that they're and like I said, nobody's yelling like, what are we doing this for? What what is God? Is this something that really exists? Everyone's just kind of putting it out there and letting you f- take it in. Mm-hmm. And I think this idea of the obedience is really present with like the very first introduction that we have to uh, brother constance that's the that's the shithead priest yes um Ooh, he scares me <laughs> he, God, he's, he's the, the michael ironside in the next karate kid of this movie yes <laughs> he where really he's just is. bludgeoning students <laughs> yeah and he's he's played by jay patterson who is a character actor who plays a lot of these like tough guy roles and this is one of his first roles and woof, he really makes an impression but when we first meet him he's having the kids like you know speak in front of the class and one of the kids is giving an answer to something and he's like well I wanted the definition in the book like he wants a word for word Mm -hmm. reciting of what's in the book and not to show like yes I've interpreted and understood this material they want the obedience they want like the almost militaristic take on education and then when they don't do that they are punished for it in like very humiliating ways Mm -hmm. like as much as Caesar's real easy to kind of poke fun at because he's 
you know, obsessed with Freud and constantly psychoanalyzing everyone around him, which I feel like a lot of kids go through that phase when they like take a psychology 101 class. Uh, they suddenly just learned everything they can about the human, the human condition and they can tell you who you are. Mm-hmm. Uh, but having him have to wear like a piece of chewed gum on his nose all day, like that's so unnecessary. It's so stupid. It's but it, yeah, you're right. It's just to humiliate him. And it, it, why? It's it's he's such a right. small man, but yeah, he just has this power over these kids, and he's just gonna flaunt it. Brother, I'm exempt from this sort of discipline. The famous note. I see you've had it laminated. To protect it. Very good. I'll return it to you when we finish. Please, brother. We work out another punitive plan. Please. Please, brother, please. This is barbaric. Please. Who are you calling barbaric? You leave him alone. Maybe I just have some preconceived notions about how Catholicism is because, you know, I, I, I've, 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 I've dabbled a little bit here and there, but this movie opens up with, you know, one, one of the first scenes is Donald Sutherland's character talking to Dunn and he's sort of like, Hey, you're not doing dress code. Um, you need to address me by like formal name. He's being firm in just like correcting him like every single sentence, every moment he's correcting him. And I have this feeling of like, oh no, they're all going to be like this, except for like cool youth pastor <laughs> reverend <laughs> over here. And they're not, it's really just like everyone's firm and they have a set way of doing things, but it really is just this one guy. It, it's brother Constance who is the worst one by far. Yeah. And he, I, he's got problems. Yeah, He's got serious problems. And in a weird way, I almost think that it's kind of a a like a like a win for the Catholic Church in that this movie is very much saying, "Hey, it's not all of us. Like, it's some of us are really horrible, and the problem is that like the system protects these horrible people mm-hmm. um, because he is he's protected like pretty much every step of the way. Even after you know John Hurd is talking to Donald Sutherland, is like this guy is like out of control. He's very extreme. And Donald Sutherland's like, he's one of the best teachers we have. Like the kids all perform really well. And he's like, yeah, but is that like at what cost? Like, that's not great. And it isn't until brother Constance, like really flies off the deep end that they're like, yeah, you should never be allowed around children ever again. Like you have problems. Um, but the system up until that point, like does protect him and mm-hmm. lets him get away with this, which I think Again, like this movie is saying so much that I don't think people, I think you're right. I don't think people were ready for these conversations yet. And to some, in some places, I think they're still not ready to have these conversations. They say at the end that he just gets transferred to another school. Like that Mm -hmm. solved the problem. And that's what the Catholic Church did. Oh, I don't know. For decades. Mm hmm. Like, I almost like I'm going to be a little bit bad faith. I'm glass half full in this situation. But it's like. Brother Thaddeus or, or, or Cardinal or I, I think he's a brother. I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm not a good Catholic, but I almost wonder if he would not have actually had any discipline for Constance if it had not been such a spectacle in front of literally everyone. Right. Like, like would he have kept? Yeah. Would he have kept looking like the other way if 
no one else was seeing it. That's a good question because he didn't seem to like to, yeah, he didn't want to get his hands dirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right because then it becomes like, well, now you have forced my hand. Yes. Now I absolutely have to do something, um, which is... Ugh, you know, a whole thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I did want to reference this passage that Mike wrote about the movie in Teen Movie Hell just because Mike reviewed this from the perspective of somebody who went to Catholic school um, in, I'm not entirely sure how old Mike was. I think he was in the 70s. He would have been around that age. But he says that Heaven Help Us is a fine nostalgia effort, gritty in spots and moving in others. In the wake of Porky's, etc., the movie does feel a little choppy and inconsistent, but luckily... As a result, the studio injected some distracting and unnecessary slapstick and raunch to even the score. Ten years earlier, Heaven would have been more like a goyish equivalent of Summer of 42 or the apprenticeship of uh, Duddy Kravitz. And though essentially flawed, Heaven Help Us is rife with goodness and packed with potential for greatness that it could never possibly achieve. It is the perfect Catholic teen sex comedy. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh, I like that. <laughs> Which I think, like, that is such an important distinction, too, because it's not, it, it could never be the sex comedy that the marketing wanted it to be mm-hmm. because of the Catholicism. Like, you, it, it, it just puts it in an entirely different universe that plays by entirely different rules because that's how all repressive cultures work. They are in their own universe. Also, because Dunn and Danny they fall in love. They have like a real relationship mm-hmm. and she takes him to Coney Island and they dance and there's just like this, it's sweet and it's lovely and you root for them. There's nothing salacious about it. There's nothing like, and she takes her top off or she, mm-hmm. you know what I mean? There's nothing going on there. It's just like a natural progression of two people finding each other, finding your other person and that kind of thing, which doesn't fit into the teen sex thing. And it's filmed totally. at Coney Island, and it looks really beautiful. And it's got yeah. this redding and all this stuff. It's it's gorgeous. Even Overcast, it's still beautiful. And like yeah. speaking of like Andrew McCarthy movies where Otis Redding is there in Pretty in Pink, like that's a show stealing scene going mm-hmm. to Ducky. But this is so much better. Right, and it's like takes its time, and they just let the song keep playing as they go through like three different locations on their date, and she like gives him a hubcap. Um, it's just like, it's uneventful, but it's the most meaningful thing you could ever imagine. It's also two really good actors with charisma, you know, really playing the scene well, too. And Uh like you said, they take their time with it, and it feels like a time and a place and romantic and something just between the two of them. So when she is, spoiler, picked up, and then, you know, Child Protective Services or whatever kind of get her out of there, you feel bad for both of them because you Mm -hmm. realize how much they're both going to miss each other and what they meant to one another. It's Mm -hmm. something real that's there. Absolutely. And I think that it's such a groundbreaking thing to see in a film of this sort of era because you're right. It It's not about sex. This isn't some like great big mission to lose one's virginity. Like they just happened to fall in love and like that's the circumstances that brought them together. And I'm so glad we're talking about the Coney Island date because mm-hmm. this scene in particular 
rem- like it falls under the umbrella for me as like the entire movie of Nick and Nora's infinite playlist of the romantization of like the New York love story mm-hmm. and like the the one perfect date you can have in New York City or like you know anything in the in the area. Um, so I was going to ask Margot since you have lived in the area pretty much your whole life. Have you ever gotten to have like a New York perfect date? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've had, you know, I've had some terrible ones for sure, but I've had, <laughs> I've had some great ones. Um, and at Coney Island, uh, Brooklyn bridge, central park, you know, prospect park. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's, there's some really New York stands up for a reason, you know, the, the mm-hmm. promenade, the Brooklyn promenade, which is like Annie hall and all those movies. There's something very romantic about it. It's a beautiful city. I don't think people give it credit for that, but I think it's actually a really beautiful city. I love that. I mean, I've unfortunately never gotten to have a perfect New York date because I've never lived there. But in Chicago, our version is like Navy Pier. Like that's our I equivalent love of Chicago. the Coney Island date. Um, and it, I don't know, maybe it's like, it's like a Ferris wheel thing. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Is that like the all American symbol for like, this is the sign of a good date as a Ferris wheel? Yes, 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 yes. I totally believe that. Yes. Because I think the same thing happens whenever there's like really cute romantic scenes in like Los Angeles. It's on Santa Monica Pier, which also right. has a Ferris wheel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> there's something like that's simultaneously both very romantic because you get lights and there's like people everywhere. So you get to have this experience where it's like you're the only two people in the world, even though you're surrounded by all these people. But then there's something like wholly innocent about like a Ferris wheel or like a carnival or a pier or anything like that where it just feels fun like there's like it has a very joyful energy around it it doesn't feel very serious Mm -hmm. but at the same time feel serious like it's just the perfect location for this beautiful moment that they have together it's lovely yeah and I also think that it's just a really good date spot because it's you know you know from a film perspective even it's really nice because it's very visually pleasing to look at because like who doesn't like looking at a carnival, particularly one with like some history to it. Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. Also, it's a place that like teens can go because a lot of, you know, your date spots are gated off either by age or finances, but a carnival, like everyone can afford a carnival. You just get on the subway, you get on the F train and go all the way out there. (laughs) (laughs) And it's free pretty much. Just get a hot dog or whatever and start walking. Yeah, I don't geographically. I don't know how New York is laid out, but I know that Coney Island's really far away because I love the Warriors. So <laughs> I know it is a trek. What I tell people I love about Coney Island is like, it's it's it could be any decade. It could be old timey or it could be very current. And it's a place where, and I love going to Coney Island. It's like, you could be super relaxed there, but there's always kind of a hint that something weird can happen any second too. Mm -hmm. You could could be shivved or something just out (laughs) of nowhere, which is kind of cool. Someday you just turn into your own Tom Waits story. Yes, yes. I love that (laughs) reference. Yes. Or Lou Reed, yeah. (laughs) Kind of dead around here now. In a couple weeks, it'll be jumping with every party head in Brooklyn. Oh, that's okay. I'm not too crazy about crowds. Yeah, but on summer nights, with the lights and stuff and people dancing, it's like a whole other planet. A whole other weird, fantastic planet. I've been loving you. Too 
And I also think it's just like this scene in particular is so outstanding because it's such a change from everything else we see in this movie where everything is so kind of rigid and Catholic. And even if you didn't grow up Catholic, like my grandma's Catholic, like I was baptized because it was very much my parents like we have to baptize our baby or grandma's never going to shut the fuck up about it. Right. Like So that's my extent of being connected to my very Italian Catholic roots. Um, but like there's something just so overwhelming. Like the, the, the school that they are in is really beautiful. Like... Catholics have a lot of problems. They design the shit out of a church. Like, yeah. Catholic chapels are the so opulence. beautiful. They're so gorgeous. Yeah. But at the same time, you walk into those and you just feel so small. And it just feels like it is just crushing you. But then, like, you get to go to, like, Coney Island and it just feels free and inviting. And that is such a different energy than, like, the whole movie where right. they are fighting for that freedom and fighting to, like, be able to be individuals and just getting squashed every step of the way. I love it that they're just, like, under the pier and making out. And it could be so, like, once again, that word is but salacious and just make it really cheesy. Like, a lot of movies would, would make her topless for, mm-hmm. you know, just to oh, get that yeah. R rating for sure. But it's so innocent and sweet. Like, like I said, like, there's a true connection between them and you root for them. You want it to happen. And it's just lovely. Oh, it's beautiful. And like this movie has an R rating, which probably didn't help it at the time of of release. I would uh, say so, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Like I think that we are either, we're right at the cusp of PG-13, but either way, PG or PG-13 still would have been far better for this movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I think the nudity in the language is what put it over. So like they could have gone ahead and made it more salacious if they wanted to. They were already going to get the rating, but it's like, it's, it's a deliberate choice and it's better for it. Right, I agree. Definitely. And honestly, I think they could have very easily avoided the R rating. I think it's the swimming scene. Like, I think that's why mm. this movie has the R rating. All because, those wieners. Well, yeah. yeah, Harmony <laughs> pointed it out. I was like, oh, no, they're covering. And she rewound it. And I was like, no, they are not. Some and of I them looked, are. And I was like, man, there's like a bunch of these kids that are supposed to be like, what, like 15, 16 years old? Yep. Just hands on hips, dick out. I was like, holy shit. Whoa. Was not anticipating that. Uh, and like the actors are not underage. Yeah. Like, I did a very quick Google before I mentioned that on here. I was like, oh no, most of them are in their 20s. They just have very boyish faces. Yeah, Andrew McCarthy is like 21 or something like that. He, something like, he's like, I think he actually might be like 23, but I think uh, the the girls were like 21. But either gotcha. way, all of the boys were of age, but it is still like canonically we're supposed to think that they're high school boys. So it is very jarring when it is just one, that many in, su- in succession, like that's always a jarring visual because it never happens in film because film is notoriously very weird about full frontal male nudity. Mm-hmm. Um, they'll show 10 million boobs, but like you show a single male ass cheek and the world ends, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there's that, but also it is presented in such a matter of fact way in this school where like no one questions that this is their form of punishment like at no point is somebody like this is really inappropriate and we should probably call someone they're just like well we got in trouble guess we have to be naked now and it's like (laughs) that scares the fuck out of me where we're in trouble we got to be on our knees for hours you know holding our arms out like jesus Uh you know we're gonna be in trouble someone's gonna hit us i mean it's yeah you need to crawl around on your hands and knees and say like brother Constance's name over and over again. Yeah. Yeah. Again, there like is, the sexuality of this so, is very <laughs> particular. Yes. We were 
watching it and Harmony was like, I can just see the development of humiliation kinks happening in all of these boys right now. Uh Because Mm -hmm. fully some of the stuff that they go through is the same sort of punishment that like doms would have people do. Yeah. this it all tracks though this is why so many people who were raised in repressive cultures end up like being some of the wildest kinksters you'll ever meet Uh, it all makes complete sense to me it's just very wild to see it in action especially like i am a hardcore like public school kid all the way so this is very much like like this is like looking at a zoo for me because it's just so not my experience Mm -hmm. and most of what I've learned about like Catholic schools have been either through people that I went to college with who all kind of lost their shit once they were given the freedom of, oh my God, I'm in a college and I don't have people telling me what to do, um, or movies, because this is just not my experience in any stretch of the imagination. And I don't know, it's very, it's very weird. Maybe y'all will be able to understand this, maybe not. But where I went to high school outside of Chicagoland, like it was it was a rough school considerably. I think it was fine. But like statistically speaking, it's a rough school. And a lot of the kids that I went to junior high with went to the Catholic school across the border in Kenosha, Wisconsin, in in Wisconsin. And people used to always say like, oh, we're going to go send our kids to the Catholic school because that's the better school and that's the safer school and that's the more refined school we all know that that's racially charged language of that's the white school. Like that's why mm-hmm. they sent those kids there. But what was always really interesting is because they were always saying that our public school had such a bad drug problem. The drug problem that we had at our high school was kids smoked weed, which is not an issue. But like the kids at Catholic school did coke. Like it was yes. a cruel, it, it, it was cruel intentions up there. Like they were yeah. doing hard stuff because one, they could afford it. And two, they looked down on weed because that's what public school kids did. So they had like, I don't know, classy drugs, which is cocaine, I guess. And that's just always been something really interesting to me where it's like, oh, okay. So you didn't want your kids to go to public school with, you know, non-white students, but you're totally cool with them going to Catholic school where they're all going to just get really good at lying about the stuff they're doing. That and um, I knew somebody who went to Catholic school in Northern California and she said like she knew people who had orgy parties on the weekends, like (laughs) full on orgies. And their they, their parents thought they were going to like a school where their kids were going to be like taught to be a little more let's say like not so promiscuous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, What's there's sinful also, behavior. Yes. Well, there's also uh, Harmony. What's the name of the Garfunkel and Oates song about doing it in the ass? Uh, <laughs> is it the loophole? I the think loophole. That's the, it. The loophole. Yeah. Where it's where it's all about like you've got to get fucked in the ass for Jesus because it's technically not losing your virginity. Yeah. I knew a lot of kids like that where you know again they go to college and you have those discussions with the people on your dorm floor of like oh how far have you gone and all the girls from Catholic schools are like yeah I've definitely done it in the ass. And you're like, whoa, all right. <laughs> and and it's like, well, that way it's like, I'm not, I didn't technically lose my virginity. And you're like, all right, whatever you got to tell yourself to sleep at night, honey, whatever you need. Sure. Right. <laughs> do, do you think you need to confess anal sex to someone in the confessional booth? Do you, is it, is it, it's still a sin, right? You have to tell like, <laughs> you have to tell Donald Sutherland like, oh, yes, Billy, um, absolutely railed me in the back door the other night. And then he gives you like 12 Hail Marys. Is that a thing? 
Well, oh goodness, what is it? Uh, is it Detroit Rock City where he tells the the person at the confessional booth all of the sexy stuff that he's done and just like keeps saying things and then the priest is the one who like fills in all the blanks of like oh is she wearing a negligee oh is yeah is it Detroit Rock City it's Detroit Rock City okay. um it's right after he's like you'll never guess what she was wearing and then his mind just drifts and going like leather bra leopard uh, and he just gets really seductive oh, about God. it <laughs> that's right that's right I uh what a great movie Detroit Rock City is a super underrated movie it is <laughs> love you Rifkin but, but again that is uh <laughs> that is my extent of knowing about Catholic school is like things from girls in college and then like Detroit Rock City and like Superstar like I think that's my and again those are like knowledge. much more deliberate comedies usually when you get like a Catholic school it's more of a comedy this is i i wouldn't say this is not funny it has funny moments it's certainly not a comedy it's it's a proper like coming of age drama it's not porkies it's not yeah. revenge of the nerds yeah yeah it's it's so much more mature it's like a very it's a refined sex comedy this is elevated sex comedy <laughs> if we're gonna if we're gonna invent terms for it just absolute ridiculousness <laughs> But I I think this is a movie that more people would appreciate. And I think that you're right in saying that maybe this will be a movie people like more now than they did when it first came out. Because I think people are way more comfortable with being critical with like religious institutions. Mm-hmm. And this this movie I think is really fair. I think like it shows there are people that are kind of cool. Like some of my favorite people to follow on TikTok are um like the the gay pride priests. Um I don't know what else to call them, but the priests that very much are on team like Jesus was a socialist, you should love gay people. Like I love following them and the way they view the world, even though I am a very hardcore atheist. Like I just like the, the kindness they show, I guess mm-hmm. it, I don't know, it heals something in me a little bit. Um, but it's, you know, we have the the John Hurd character who is being, you know, someone who is, who's being an activist for these kids and advocating for them. And I think that's really lovely. And then also seeing, you know, yeah, this is, this is a structure that can be really harmful to these kids. Um, but then you also have the, you know, Mary Stuart Masterson, like she gets to be her own person. Like there's so much going on in this movie and yet this doesn't get talked about because of, you know, the initial mistake of marketing, I think, has just started a domino effect of why this movie isn't in kind of the teen movie canon the way that other Brat Pack movies are. Yeah, but, I didn't get like the uh, the TBS replay, like yeah. 16 Candles mm-hmm. does. Like, you know, stuff like that, it just becomes so ingrained in your brain. And this movie doesn't have that kind of ability, a thing about it, like, like 16 Candles does, Breakfast Club, stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It doesn't have almost like um like a like a fantastical version of teendom like mm-hmm. uh, a sixteen candles does where it's like uh, clearly over the top to the point of being a comedy and this is sort of there but it's very grounded. Uh, also, like a big problem is that this movie is not wildly accessible. It's, no, it's we had not. to like get Cinemax for like a same. seven day trial to watch it because it's not available anywhere. <laughs> yeah, same. I mean, also, and going back to like I was saying, like with Sixteen Candles, like, this movie, like if it were interrupted by a bunch of commercials, it would be very jarring. Mm-hmm. Like Sixteen yes. Candles is a very noisy kind of movie, so when there's like a commercial coming up, it's kind of going along with it. This movie would be like, Ugh. yeah, but also I, I I go back once again. I think it's just the soundtrack because it has a really great soundtrack um, of the rock hits that it has. And I mm-hmm. think that's probably why it's not so available. Maybe that's why. That, that, yeah, that's we a good example, to, I would imagine. I, we were trying to figure it out because it is a, you know, it's 
presented as like an HBO entertainment. So theoretically, you would think like, oh, HBO Max would want this because that's kind of their catalog. Yeah. But they also... Uh, my my one-sided celebrity feud with the new Warner Bros. Discovery head, David, David Zaslav, like, he's actively said he is not interested in content and entertainment for children and teenagers. Like, he's he's said that on record. He's like, I don't want it. That's why the, the Degrassi reboot just got the can, even though that was already in production. Because he's like, I don't see the, the value in this. So I don't see someone like that being like, hmm, this HBO movie for teenagers from the 80s, let's invest and make sure that people can see that. That's not going to happen. So mm-hmm. that's why it's on Cinemax for seven days. It's also available in like 47 parts on YouTube. Uh, we found that. One of those classic <laughs> uploads. Yeah, it's been there for like, I don't know, 10 years or something like that. But I mean, this is one of those things where, I mean, I love, I'm always a proponent for physical media, but this is why it's so important that we do talk about these movies because they legitimately do get lost to time. And this is a movie that existed before Harmony and I's time. Like we're both nineties kids. So if it wasn't for people like telling us to seek this out, or I got very lucky in having a mom that was like, you're going to watch everything and good news. Grandma records literally every movie off of HBO humanly possible illegally on VHS. So we have the entire collection. (laughs) Grandma's Um, a pirate. (laughs) My grandma was a pirate. RIP grandma Betty. You were the realist. She's the best. Um, She was the best, but that's how I like learned about these movies. That's how movies like don't tell mom the babysitter's dead became like my go-to movie as a toddler because I had the HBO like catalog thanks to her illegally recording everything off of TV, which is how I saw this movie for the first time when I was younger, was an illegal rip from my grandma. Um, but we, if we don't talk about these movies, they do go away. And it's so crazy to think about it when you look at who's all in it. It's like, this is such a star-studded cast. Mm-hmm. And yet, this is a movie that is at risk of like disappearing out of public conversation. Mm-hmm. That's why I wanted to include it in my book. I mean, seriously, I was just hoping like somebody, if they get it, they, they look at that. They're like, oh, I think I remember that movie or that sounds interesting. Let me check that out. I mean, that's seriously why I wanted to do that. Because once you turn this movie on, I find it just very captivating. You know, I'm not paying mm-hmm. attention to anything else. I'm really yeah. involved in it. I think it's it looks great. I mean, the art direction's great. It really mm-hmm. feels like you're in 65 Brooklyn. I loved it. Yeah, I, I think that this movie deserves to be a double feature with a lot of more well-known films. Like, you could easily say, like, this is a double feature with The Last American Virgin, but also it's a functional double feature with The Outsiders, and that's probably an even better fit, and not just because mm-hmm. there's a Dylan in that one, too. <laughs> the Dylan Bros double feature. Yeah, why not? <laughs> why not? So, Margot, speaking of your book, I would love to give you some time to talk about Filmed in Brooklyn because I think that, one, I'm surprised that this does, book doesn't exist already. <laughs> um, so good job there, like really cornering a market. Um, but what is it about movies filmed in Brooklyn that, you know, made you want to write this book? It was funny because I actually pitched the publishers at History Press to write a book about Park Slope, which is where I live in Brooklyn. And they looked at all my social media and said, actually, we've been doing these books about film location in Arizona and in Riverside. And they said, would you be interested in doing one in Brooklyn? And I was like, yeah, okay." And the next thing you know, COVID hits. So, you know, we're all home watching movies. And I think I was going to talk about maybe 20 movies, 30 movies and kind of make it longer essays. 
but I just kept started watching movies, 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 movies. And then I started visiting these locations and taking photos and really diving deep. And two and a half years later, 250 movies later, I just kind of came up with what I have and it's, it's like this passion project and I've got everything from the silent era up to the Marvel universe in there. And this is also included in there. I love that so much because I, I'm just, especially now that Harmony, I live in Los Angeles and we can now see a lot of these places. Um, Mm -hmm. This podcast is really fun for me as someone who grew up in the Chicagoland area because that's John Hughes world. So I get to Mm -hmm. talk about all these neighborhoods and I'm like, oh, I know those kids. Those kids were shit, Um, (laughs) which is really fun. (laughs) But there is something so wonderful in thinking about the ways that movies can kind of capture a location i mean i've because again i've never lived in in brooklyn or new york and so my idea of what it's like to be there is what i've learned from movies and i think there's something really powerful in that even if it's accurate or not accurate like some of my favorite movies are like sleazy 42nd street new york like i Mm -hmm. love that era and i'm so sad i was never alive to see it because that would have been great but i i feel like i can live that through like vicariously through movies Mm -hmm. and you know there's there's a part of me that in watching heaven help us i'm like i feel like i know what it was like to live there obviously i don't obviously but there's a little part of me that's like oh i know what this is like how quaint yeah (laughs) everybody like knows what coney island looks like and they get like a feeling for it they know what the brooklyn bridge looks like and they get a feeling for it i mean there's just so many really wonderful films and they just they're so evocative also of just of a time in america like saturday night fever very mm-hmm. 70s america and what was going on there and then my favorite movie from brooklyn is and there's so many but moonstruck has just a oh, I very love moonstruck. Oh, it's so funny and romantic and just weird. There's just, it. you don't know where they're going with it, this story, and it just goes in these unexpected places. And Brooklyn is just the backdrop of it, but it's so gorgeous and it just makes you feel things. And it's just, there's so much, it's also just makes you appreciate beauty. And I'm also like an architecture geek and I love to look at just that, like the architecture of the homes behind them, brownstones. I love all that stuff. Amazing. Well, I think we're kind of wrapping things up on here. So Harmony, I'm going to ask you the question. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Heaven Help Us is asking you to the prom. Is it a yes, a no, a maybe, or are you buying them a ticket so they can go on their own? Oh, hallelujah. Um, (laughs) Here's the thing. I was flabbergasted and absolutely like shell-shocked by how much I loved Dirty Dancing when we did that months ago. And it was Mm -hmm. my favorite like first time watch of like maybe the year for this podcast. I don't know. This, this might beat it. I, I really (laughs) loved this movie like a lot and it's really unfortunate how much it is underappreciated and kind of just tucked away in like a dark corner of streaming where nobody knows it exists. Uh, I, I think it does so many things expertly. I think it has such an interesting setting and like nuanced approach to the themes it's covering. I love seeing all of these people that are baby versions of mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> other versions that I'm more familiar of them with. Like this is a pre princess bride Wallace Shawn. And it's always weird to see him in something pre princess bride 
that isn't my dinner with Andre because it's like he's not doing his Wallace Shawnisms that are solely mm-hmm. based on that movie. Mm-hmm. So I, it's just fascinating. It's a, it's a specific place and time that works for like the mid '60s and also the mid '80s. And I, I don't know. I just, I'm a big fan. I, I loved this. Thank you. So is is that a yes? Yes, from? absolutely. <laughs> Oh, wonderful. Well, Margot, thank you so much for being on our show and for being willing to talk to us about this. And, you know, congratulations on your book. Just everyone should go out there and buy it and read it and put it as part of your filmography library. Where can people find your work, you on the internet, if you want them to find you on the internet? Oh, please. Um, Yes. (laughs) Well, while there's still a Twitter... Just saying. Yeah, for mm-hmm. real. Right. Um, you can find me at Brooklyn Fitchick. Also, I'm on Instagram at Brooklyn Fitchick. My site is brooklynfitchick.com. And I'm on TikTok at Margot Donahue. Amazing. And as always, friends, you can find us on, I guess, still a Twitter for the time being, Twitter and Instagram at This Ends Up Prom. You can find me on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at BJ Colangelo. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Velazatraptor, Velaza underscore trap underscore tour. And as always, humongous thank you to the Sonderbombs for allowing us to use Title as our theme song. Harmony, what cool band do you want people to check out inspired by Heaven Help Us? So there's a few different directions I could have gone with this one. I could have gone like kind of classical uh, because of like classic church hymns. I could have gone Irish because that's part of this soundtrack. Or I could have gone with the significantly more fun option, which is like Motown. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. I went with that. I know that this is like clearly a very New York movie, so pardon the name of the band, but they are the California Honey Drops, and sort of every song they do is some version of, like, Under the Boardwalk, but, like, the Otis Redding version, and, mm-hmm. like, I, lo- I love that. Like, it- it's it's very classic, like, late 50s, early 60s soul, but as a band, and it goes all the way into, like, maybe early 70s. You get a little bit of the the Marvin Gaye and Stevie Wonder of stuff in their sound. It's just, it's very warm. It's very nostalgic and familiar. But, like, it's a new version of that. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a fan. It's, it's nice. Beautiful. And friends, don't forget, if you want to find them easily, we do have our playlist where we update all of the bands that we recommend based on the movies we watched. It's in our link tree, which is in the link in any bio of our social media. But that takes us out on Heaven Help Us. We will see you next time. As always, save that last dance for us. Bye. Amen. Got here, you jerked off 168 times. It's been one month since your last confession. It's an average of uh, 5.6 times a day. Oh my God, you can't tell them that. They'll cut your balls off. This episode was brought to you by Pod People Productions. 
To find more episodes of this show and others, please visit podpeople.me.